Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl podcast. I am your host, Kristen. Every season, I include one episode dedicated to the skeptical side of things. It's important as skeptical believers to fairly question the things we learn about the paranormal. It's important that we hold space for thoroughly trying to understand the mysterious from our physical understanding of the world before we have no other option but to accept that what we are witnessing or experiencing is something a bit more inexplicable. I usually do these skeptical takes alone, but today I have some help from a true skeptic, a professional skeptic, if you will, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy the education in properly applied skepticism that today's guest brings. Before introducing my guest, today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Ladies, are you ready to make the men in your life beach ready and turn their grooming game up a notch? This summer, give the gift of the Beard Hedger Pro Kit from Manscaped. With this game-changing tool, they can shape their beards like true beach babes and make heads turn wherever they go. Visit manscaped.com, use code PNG, and enjoy 20% off and free shipping. Surprise your favorite guy with the ultimate grooming upgrade and show them some love with Manscaped. I appreciate and prefer a nicely groomed beard. It can be an incredibly important part of one's appearance. And it's a calling card of sorts to a person's character. It speaks to having attention to detail, prioritizing of self-care and hygiene. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit provides everything he will need to achieve optimal grooming status. The tools and formulas included make it so easy for him to take control over his style and appearance and gives him options to achieve his favorite looks and feel his best self. The Pro Beard Kit also comes with three gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure that his beard is always ready to impress. It is time to help him say goodbye to his stubble troubles. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PNG. Manscaped Beard Hedger. One stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. At the Oregon Ghost Conference this year, I attended a course called Properly Applied Skepticism and Paranormal Research. The education was awesome and riveting, and when the class concluded, I knew I had to ask the instructor to come on the show and share his knowledge with us. Thankfully, he said yes. Dr. James Nelson has a background in clinical social work, science, and research. He previously co-founded a paranormal research group and currently consults in a skeptical capacity for various paranormal investigative teams in the Portland, Oregon area. He also works with and is the co-founder of the Portland Ghostbusters, which is a cosplay group that attends and supports numerous charity events and conventions. He applies the scientific method and a grounded logic when approaching claims of the supernatural and joins us to share how we all can more properly apply a healthy skepticism in our own quest for answers. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. James Nelson. I have a 
have been so excited to speak with you. We met at the Oregon Ghost Conference just a couple of months ago. I took your awesome class, Properly Applied Skepticism and Paranormal Research, and it was very illuminating, very enlightening. So I thought that would be uh, very enjoyable and important for my audience, uh, an audience of skeptical believers, to hear from you. So um, how how is the response from that? class. I was curious when I took it, just from the paranormal community in general, what uh, what's the response been like? It's been a, a pretty decent response. Um, I think a lot of people like it. Uh, I, I've never had anyone come right out and be openly hostile about it. I've, I have had people, um, when I've given this as a, as a lecture, uh, at the end have, have come up with like, basically challenging me on some of my, um, my skepticism. And I've been able to use that as sort of a learning opportunity uh, for like, hey, well, I, we've just been discussing this, so let's apply some of these critical thinking skills to this claim that you've that you've made. Um, so it's it's been uh, fairly fairly positive. Although I I will say I it's not one of the more popular classes at the ghost conferences, and I get it. You know, I people want to come to ghost conferences to talk about spooky things and uh, they want to learn how equipment works and they want to, you know, go on a ghost hunt. And, um, you know, coming to listen to some guy talk about how, you know, hey, maybe these things you're experiencing aren't what you think they are is probably kind of a buzzkill. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? That is unfortunate to uh learn um as far as like my own experience just in this show maybe it's just because that's the the type of people that i attract um my experience has been talking with various paranormal investigators and researchers that they they do try to approach things skeptically first because mm -hmm. they they want good evidence but from what i'm understanding is most investigators most researchers don't want to engage with skeptics they don't want mm -hmm. to do it why i mean why 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 is that in general and and why should they do so so why they don't want to engage with skeptics there's a bunch of reasons um and i have my own thoughts on that um i think for a lot of people we have sort of an innate um desire to not have people tell us that we're wrong or that we could be wrong uh, and i i, I want to qualify that because I've never come out and said to somebody, Hey, you're, you're wrong about this. What you told me that you've experienced, you're just flat out wrong. Um, that's would not be very, a very skeptical approach. Um, but with, with the paranormal, uh, there's a lot of emotional things attached and you'll have to forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting some allergies. So my, I got a tickle in my throat. <laughs> that's okay. Take your time. Um, you know, a lot of people don't want to think of the possibility that there is nothing after this life and they get comfort from from the idea that our spirits will live on after death. And when somebody comes along and says, I don't think that's true and I don't think you have a good reason for believing that, there's kind of a gut reaction to push back on. Mm -hmm. um, the, I think there's another reason and that is at least when i first started getting into paranormal research 
it was kind of the frontier of uh of science i guess uh in terms of amateur researchers okay so there were basically it was hey you can come up do do science in quotes and make your own theories and you can't be wrong because there are no experts and so having somebody basically say okay that's not true you can be wrong and there are people with expertise in this um whether we want to debate that there are people who have expertise in the paranormal but there are certainly people who have expertise in areas of science that that cross over into what would be paranormal research and there's not a whole lot of desire to listen to them and again that i think that comes back to i don't want somebody telling me i'm wrong mhm mm like that emotional aspect to it mm -hmm. um yeah that's really important to point out um another thing i i want to point out here at the beginning when we are talking about healthy skepticism in regards to something like the paranormal what does that mean because i think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about what that yeah. actually means. Like if you take somebody like Joe Nickel, you immediately think, oh, skeptic, total skeptic. Well, he calls himself a paranormal investigator. Mm -hmm. He just has not found anything to prove that that anything exists yet. So so what yeah. is in basic terms, what are we actually talking about here as as a skeptic? What does yeah. that mean? <laughs> well, I have a lot of respect for Joe Nickel. He's actually one of my favorite researchers and uh and authors uh highly recommend his his uh his books um so i think people believe that skepticism is this smug idea that i'm right and you're wrong and i think that gets around because there are a lot of skeptics who behave that way and it's kind of part you know, part of the reason I put this together is I wanted to sort of reframe the view of skeptics in the paranormal community, that they aren't these smug people going like ghosts don't exist and you're stupid for for thinking that. Um, I want them to be like, oh, you believe that ghosts exist. That's fascinating. Why do you think that? Um, what What brought you to that conclusion? And then you can listen to their stories and you can dig deeper and you can you can ask you know some pointed questions like what you know depending on the the uh, experience um you know why did that convince you that ghosts are real it's it's kind of like with with orbs which you know we'll probably get into later because that's that's something that i usually talk about and if anything is going to make people mad it's it's that but like even if you convince me 100% that you saw an orb with your your um your naked eye and it was doing all sorts of things like loop de loops and flying over a a field at midnight you know how have you concluded that that is a spirit of a deceased person right you would actually you need to apply the scientific method some kind of mm -hmm. method to actually get that verifiable mm -hmm proof and that's something i i really appreciated about the course was how finally you broke down all of these aspects to consider in this mm -hmm. whole process like you talked about the null hypothesis alternative mm -hmm. hypotheses um you you talked about actually i wanted to explore this with you mm -hmm. burden burden of proof mm -hmm. we we all think we know 
what that means mm-hmm. and and where that applies. Um, what for my listeners' sake, what what is burden of proof and who actually who holds that? Uh, the burden of proof uh, is held by the person who makes the claim. So if I were to say ghosts don't exist, I have adopted a burden of proof that I would need to I would need to demonstrate, which I I don't believe I could do that. I couldn't give you evidence that says, yeah, for 100 percent, ghosts don't exist. Um, I think there is a lot that points to most paranormal instances being something natural that we don't understand like that maybe that is understanded by the greater scientific community but individually we don't understand so we misinterpret it um so i'm very careful about what i say because i try not to uh when having a discussion um adopt a burden of proof Mm -hmm. and it's not because i don't i mean uh, my personal philosophy on this is i don't know if ghosts exist i don't know if there's life after death let's 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 find out you know, the people who say, oh, yeah, there's definitely ghosts. They definitely exist is, you know, that's where you say, OK, cool. Ghosts exist. How did you make that determination? And again, I think how we say it, how we ask these questions is going to go a long way to building those bridges, because despite me saying I try not to be smug, I realize the way I said it, you know, hey, cool. Tell me why you think that mm-hmm. kind of comes off as as smug and superior. Um, and I, I think that as a skeptic, it's, I, uh, you know, I try to be uh, cognizant of the fact that how I am asking these questions is going to impact how uh, people take the information that I'm, I'm trying to partake or, 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 or to, to give out. Right. Right. And um, it's, it's hard because on on the believer side of this there there is still a need to be open-minded to mm-hmm. the idea that it's it's it might not be a ghost it might mm-hmm. be something totally explainable mm-hmm. um you also talked about uh something really interesting because i have personally used this in my life and uh i i think um maybe i'm not understanding it but it comes in when um with burden of, of proof, sort of Occam's razor and yes. Hitchens razor. Hitchens razor is that is that after Christopher Hitchens? Yes. <laughs> um, okay, I love him. I yeah. love him. So uh, Occam's razor is uh, is often misquoted as the simplest solution is most likely the correct one, and the problem with that quote is the simplest solution is magic. Okay. Um, it is the the correct way of of using Occam's razor, and I, I believe it's also called the law of parsimony. Is you you use the razor to to uh, slice off the unneeded assumptions. Uh, that which is where that that comes from. So it is the um, the answer with the fewest assumptions that you have to make is most likely. It doesn't mean it is the correct one. It is just more likely to be correct then it is not. So you're, let's say you're in an investigation and you hear a thump on the floor above you and you know there, there's nobody up there and you say, that was a ghost. Okay. Well, you're, you're, you're got to make a lot of assumptions right off the bat. You're assuming that it's a ghost. Uh, and that assumption brings its own assumptions of that when th- there's something about uh, people 
that lives on after death that either is anchored to a property or can move around freely and that it can interact with the environment in such a way that it would be able to make noise. So you're already at least four assumptions deep into that. And it could be something like, did something hit the roof? Or uh, maybe somebody got up there without, without us, uh, without us noticing it, which by the way, happens in investigations way more uh, than I think a lot of people like to admit is. Um, and I, I, I can't remember if I gave this example in uh, the class that I took, but I, I know I gave it in a, a lecture. Um, one of my, the first investigations I went on, um, one of the investigators brought a Scrabble set because there, there have been, some reported successes with like setting it up in a room, closing off the room, coming back a few hours later, and then words have been spelled out in the Scrabble tiles. And um, so they set it up in the basement. There was a lot of history to this place. Somebody had been murdered there. Uh, we knew the name of the murderer. Um, everybody like the, the investigation was not run properly in terms of we were given all the backstory prior to going in. So I went down uh to the basement to check on things and uh i looked at the um the board and there was a name clear as day spelled out in the tiles and it was the name of the person who had murdered somebody there and i i called i was really excited i called up on the uh um, walkie talkie and was like hey um we just saw that you know there was a name spelled out down here was anybody else down here and uh after like a minute we heard like oh yeah somebody said they went down there and they spelled out the name to try to like goose the spirit into oh so um and that was like my first thought at that point was oh it was a ghost when it turns out that like oh no it was somebody who had moved it around uh that actually you know takes the fewest assumptions that somebody did it themselves so uh when using when using Occam's razor, you want to um, just try to excise the assumptions that you don't need or that you, you can't demonstrate. And then Hitchens' razor uh, just states that whatever is presented without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Um, and okay. I, that goes, I think, more to wanting a, a better quality of evidence and research from researchers. And that means that, you know, you got to make sure you're getting good stuff. Uh, if, if you want people to take you seriously, you can't, you can't bring in like a garbled audio track that doesn't sound like anything and be like, yeah, that's proof. That's proof right there. Um, one of the things that the TV show TV shows do is when they're, they play the, um, the audio track, they'll put the, um, what they think it says at the same time. And that's kind of like a little trick of the brain is that when you hear the garbled message and you see what they think it says, your, mm -hmm. your ears will sort of interpret it as, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it says. If before they play it, you close your eyes so you don't see that, that will give you a, a much more uh, objective way of listening to the sound clip. And every time I've done that, especially when I'm, I'm watching the TV shows, I don't hear what they're they're claiming was said so okay okay um i shouldn't say every every time there are a few times that i'm like oh yeah that was cl crystal clear yeah and i would want to make sure that there was nobody else down there before i 
put that out as, yes, this is absolutely a, uh, a, a paranormal event. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I, I actually have a couple of really good friends that they they they're very much into EVPs, and mm. they do not, under any circumstance, want to be front loaded with what mm. the the person who captured it thinks it mm. says. That's mm. uh, and I I think that should go across the board. That's just that's just a smart way to do it, and and remove yeah. the confirmation bias from it. Mm. I think that's the proper way to do it. Well, um. On that note, on on the note of evidence and getting good evidence, mm -hmm. um, we rely on certain pieces of equipment to mm -hmm. get that evidence, something verifiable that we can match up with something else, possibly. That's how mm -hmm. I think of equipment. Um, I wouldn't trust just the reading of one single thing. It's got to coincide with something else if I were in that situation. Mm -hmm. But you... Uh, enlighten me to a couple of pieces of equipment uh that I, I you know i just didn't really think about before i haven't used them personally but uh the k2 meter oh, and yes. the and the emf reader uh what's uh what's wrong with those so um i'll start with the emf the emf um meters there's nothing per se wrong with emf meters the the problem is is that people don't know how to properly utilize them mm -hmm. so a lot of the times and this is something that the tv shows did is that you'll see them walking around using them like a pke meter from ghostbusters they're just like scanning everything taking readings and they're looking for for spikes in uh, the electromagnetic field so there there are a couple things wrong with this first off the the, the first paranormal investigators to use emf meters we're looking for correlations. Um, they'd had a theory that there might be there might be a disturbance in the electromagnetic field when an event was taking place. So they weren't walking around with EMF meters, uh, and the the meters they were using at the time were tri-field, and the tri-field natural meter is like so sensitive that you can't walk around like a PKE meter. It would be going off all the time. So you you they would they would put it down and basically if they heard a noise if they saw uh, you know had a a, uh, a psychic would would give information they would see if the dial was was jumping around and if it was they would say okay there is, seems to be a correlation between a disturbance in the emf field and whatever this is that just happened and somewhere along the line it became ghosts give off emf everything is made of energy so therefore ghosts would be made of energy therefore um you know therefore the uh the meter should pick it up and that's just not the case now what you what people need to do is if they're using a meter they need to like basically get a baseline for each room so that if they go through it again and they they, they notice, oh, hey, it's above this. They can mark it down and then dig a little deeper to see like, hey, did somebody snap on the lights? Did, did some machinery kick on? Um, it's, not, it's not a ghost meter, uh, despite the fact that there is a, a brand uh, of cell sensor that is marketed as a ghost meter. It is the most, the, one of the most hilarious uh, pieces of equipment I have seen. It came with a, um, an instruction manual that would tell you that each reading would correlate to the age of the ghost 
Hmm. But there was nothing that would be like, how did you determine this? So it really was people realizing, hey, people like technology, people like ghost hunting. I can buy these cheapo cell meters, slap a, a label on it, type up some pseudoscientific nonsense to package with it and sell like a, a $5 meter for 50, 60 bucks and people will buy it. So the issue with EMF meters are that people aren't using them properly. Okay. Um, they're, they're not ghost detectors. They are detecting disturbances in the electromagnetic field. And so once people understand that's what the meters are doing, you can kind of cut down on a lot of this wandering from room to room, sweeping everything. Um, oh, okay. Okay. So, so they're not, they're not bad to use, but we are no. misusing them. And if we use them uh, as correlate, as correlations yeah. with other things, that that's yeah. the proper way to use it. That's, that's basically what you're looking for is that if, if there's an, an event happens, you want to correlate it with as many data points as you can, such as EMF, temperature, things like that. Um, the K2 is probably one of the most famous and infamous pieces of equipment. Um, prior to now, it, it made its debut as a piece of paranormal equipment on the, the TV show Ghost Hunters uh, in the mid 2000s. And I, re I remember the episode. Um, I, I believe it was they were uh, investigating one of the uh, Manson family murders that was supposed to, uh, I think it was Sharon Tate. And one of the investigators brought it along as a method of communication. And these were, prior to that show, you could pick these up for like a buck, maybe. Mm -hmm. Between a buck and five bucks. They were awful. Um electricians wouldn't use them and they were made specifically for electricians, but they were just like, we're not getting, these aren't, aren't sensitive enough that the, um, the dial is just multicolored LEDs. So we're not getting accurate readings off of them. They're garbage. And then after the show, all the investigators wanted one and they went from five bucks to $75. And that, that was back before they'd fixed the switch on them. Because originally, when you'd use them, you'd have to keep the switch depressed. Mm -hmm. And the way they got around it on the show was they took like a nickel and stuck it in the switch to keep it on all the time. So you're paying, you know, 10 times the price for something that doesn't work the way you, you really want it to work. But it's got flashing lights. It's got colorful flashing lights. So people, people loved it. Um, I played around with a K2 a few years ago. And um, we were doing an investigation, and again, there was they were using it the night before, and they were like, "Oh, look, uh, this is uh, there's a there's a, a spot of you know hovering EMF here in the middle of the room." And so the next morning, I borrowed the K2 meter, and I went back, and I found the spot again. Okay, well, it's still there, and I just I traced using the meter, sort of like where it was coming from and I, I noticed it was getting stronger towards the wall and there was a tide clock on the wall that was battery operated. And apparently that was giving off enough EMF to get the, um, the meter to, to go off like that. So yeah, it is not a good, it is not a good meter. Um, I think, I think most people just really like it because 
it's got lights and it's handheld it's like palm sized so you can walk around and act like you're a ghostbuster i guess uh, taking, well they're they're, they're yeah. fun they're fun looking you know <laughs> they're they're entertaining yeah. um yeah i haven't used the k2 meter myself but yeah i've seen i've seen them a lot on on the they, shows they are fun looking they're just they're just garbage meters so there's, <laughs> Would you... there's much better uh pieces of equipment to invest your money in okay okay well i'm glad you said that so is if the k2 meter is is mm. the garbage equipment in, in your opinion what's what's the best one that we could be using the best one is probably going to be a tri-field meter um okay those are expensive but those are professionally calibrated uh so they are your these are the things that professional electricians are going to be buying okay. um and, and you're you're getting they're very fine-tuned for the work that um that they're used for which means that they're they're pretty decent to use in the field but they are expensive so somebody on more of a budget i would recommend the mel meters um i like them for a, a few reasons they're not as professional uh because they are made with paranormal research in mind but the uh the readings are fairly accurate off of it uh they all come with a, a built-in red lens flashlight as well so you don't have to worry about carrying around a flashlight with you and then they usually have some secondary functionality um well actually the secondary functionality would be the they they all have a um a temperature gauge it's an air probe temperature gauge and then they'll have a, a tertiary uh functionality so the one that i have has the uh a rem pod built into it which i have used on investigations and i i can say that i have not gotten great uh results from that okay um except for like maybe maybe negative results but uh the emf meter itself uh, and the uh, the temperature gauge are are really great for the money that you're spending okay very uh, interesting information. Thank you. Um, you know what? We, we are going to move on, but you said something at the beginning of the episode. Um, I, I do. I do want to hear from you about it. Talk about orbs. Tell us. Make us. Make us mad. Okay. Orbs are garbage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And I'll I'll expand on that. Um, okay, please. That that's that's just to, to get people mad. Uh, the the orbs are are very poor evidence. Orbs really came about in the mid to late nineties when digital photography was was taking off. And I I don't know if you remember like the old digital cameras of like the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. They they were like the size of a Polaroid and you would have to stick a whole floppy disk in them. Right. So you can imagine like how big those floppy disks were, like, you know, three, four megabytes, maybe, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe you had like 10, 10, 20 megabytes on them. Um, still, the quality of those photographs is, is very is very low so any close lens contamination to the camera which could be dust it could be moisture what happens is especially if you're using a flash the flash will bounce off whatever that contamination is and it's it's inside i think 
I believe it's called, I'll have to look this up, but I, uh, when I was studying this, I believe they called it the cone of confusion, which is if it's close enough to the lens, it's going to be blurry. Okay. So you have these pieces of dust that maybe you wouldn't see if you didn't have the flash. The flash fires, it, it, it illuminates the dust, but they're so close to the lens that the lens can't focus on it. So you just got these blobs of light. And then people will say, well, yeah, but there's different colors. Like, okay, that's going to depend on what you're nearby because the light of the flash will be reflecting off of surfaces. So if you have, if you're near like a green surface, then the, uh, the orb might appear to be tinted green. I have not seen, I have seen interesting orb photos. I have not seen anything compelling me to say, oh yeah, that's a spirit. Okay. What's your, what's your go-to explanation if you see a video of something that is moving erratically? I dust yeah, most likely, okay. Okay. Um, depending on where it is. I mean, if it's inside, I would say, look, if unless you can tell me for a fact that there were no air currents in that house or there was no uh, fan that turned on, I, which I don't know how you you would be able to do that because air is never just stagnant it's mm -hmm. always moving somewhat and it doesn't take much to get dust particles moving so you could be you know walking through the house uh, an old house and stirring up all this dust and the cameras can be can be picking it up so again this is if, if the claim is the orb is paranormal then the person making that claim needs to um, needs to back uh, back that up with evidence. Just having them say it's paranormal because I can't explain it is not a good explanation. Okay, I I agree with that. Well, um, let's let's move on to something I wanted to ask you about. I don't think we talked about it when we were in uh, the conference, but. You must have, and, and you've probably already been asked this so many times, in all of this consulting work, all of this investigation, you must have had experiences with things that you yourself could not explain. So honestly, I have, I have, uh, but not while consulting. Oh, okay. Um, this was about, I think, over 20 years ago uh, when I was... I was a student at uh, Portland State University, and I was house-sitting for some friends. And, um, you know, I, I was staying in their house. It was, you know, I'm in my early 20s, so it's like, ah, oh, man, I can stay up as late as I want. I can watch whatever shows I want. And they had a really, really nice house, too. So it was just kind of like, oh, this is perfect for just, you know, me time. So I used to watch the show Crossing Over at night before bed and i you know that might have something to do with with that but um i have this this very uh vivid recollection i finished watching the tv it was probably around midnight i um turned off the tv i turned off the the lights and i'm kind of in that that um that space between asleep and awake mm -hmm. and it was summer so I had the window in the bathroom open, but I hear this loud cough and it sounds like it's coming right next to the bed. 
right next to and above me. So it sounded like somebody was standing next to the bed watching me and they just let out a cough. So my eyes shot up, you know, shot open, turned on the lights, nobody there. But then I could hear some noise coming from the street and I was like, well, you know, maybe somebody coughed outside. But even as I said that, I'm like, that there's no way that was, that was right, right here. It was right next to me. But I wasn't really, I wasn't really afraid. So it was kind of like, all right, back to sleep. Right. Um, and I, I told my mom about that and she was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, she knew that the people I was house sitting for too. So I wasn't going to tell anyone else about that. And uh, my mom told the people that I house sitting for, and uh, the wife said, oh, that's Mr. Johnson. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, we bought the house like in the, the mid seventies and, um, her husband was an architect. And so they were just like, we're going to re- totally revamp the house. And they, they did. It was this sort of, um, I think Victorian style house, but they just completely modernized it. And while they were doing that, she said, uh, there was some activity and the, the story she told that really stuck with me is she woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and she said, she's walking down the hall and she just like runs smack into somebody. And it was just like, it was clear enough. And, but she said she was really tired. So she just said, Oh, excuse me, step to the side, kept going, went like five steps and then stopped and went, what? And then like, looked down the hallway and there was nobody there. And I, I forget if she had like spoken to the people they bought the house from, I, I think she had. And they said, oh, you know, our father, you know, lived in this house for most of his life. And uh, he died in a care center in the early to mid 70s. You know, so it's, you know, maybe it's maybe it's him. Yeah. And so one day in the middle of the day, there was some like some activity was happening. I don't know. Remember what it was like pots fell off the, the shelf. And she said she just got mad and she she stood in the kitchen and and said to this ghost uh, or the spirit, whatever, um, like, this is our house now and you can't be be doing this anymore. You got to move on or or don't move on, but you can't stay here sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, basically from that point on, it was very rare that they would get uh, any more paranormal activity to the point where I don't think. I think she'd forgotten about it until I mentioned it. Well, with with an experience like this, and is that is that does that like feed your current day kind of well, ghosts could be real, but you know that kind of feeling about it. Does it feed that? Kind of. Um, I have no explanation for it. Um, I can't say for certain that like oh yeah, that was a ghost, mm-hmm. and I. I have to admit also that, you know, human memory is very fragile. So I can't even truthfully say, I remember it happening, happening exactly this way. This is what, what happened. Um, I, I can tell you that, you know, from, from my recollection, you know, that's what it sounded like. And that was my reaction to it. And it was clearly enough that I told somebody, but I never had anything like that again. I've never really had a um, an experience while investigating, which has been kind of disappointing because I've gone on investigations that have been sold to me as like, 
oh yeah, this is ongoing. Like every night something's happening and I go there, you know, with a team and it's just like nothing. Okay. And you know, that's, or like, if it is something, it is something that's so underwhelming. I just feel like I don't know how I can get excited about this or even say that, yeah, that's a ghost. It's just, it's comes across like, um, I don't know. Like I, I know that people will sort of amp themselves up when they're getting excited over something. And sometimes they will take dubious evidence to mean more than it should. Why uh final question on this and then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll move on. Why continue to search? Why do you, why do you continue to do this work? What's so exciting? Well, I think it's exciting that there's um, there's always stories. Mm-hmm. And the stories are exciting and people are having experiences. And I think that as long as we're looking for answers, you know, we're doing science that way. I'm not like as passionate for like going out and doing the, you know, the overnight investigations as I was when I was younger. And I think that's largely because I haven't found anything that tells me like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what, you know, that's exactly what that is. Yeah. So um, why do it? Um, I think for me, uh, I do the uh, the conferences because I think they're fun. Um, but also, I really want to educate people. Mm-hmm. Um, I want I want people to think better, uh, think differently about investigation, and think differently about evidence, and think differently about what they're doing in the field, because really, so there. <laughs> There's an old joke in, in the field of parapsychology. It says, if you're an academic and you want to commit career suicide, study parapsychology. If you're a parapsychologist and you want to commit su- a career suicide, uh, study the survival hypothesis. Um, a lot of academics don't study these things, um, even in, in parapsychology. And mm-hmm. partially that's because you can't, you can't do it in a laboratory. We haven't been able to get a ghost to come into a laboratory to run tests on. Um, a lot of other aspects of parapsychology, we can run tests on. We can run tests on um, on ESP in the laboratory. We can run uh, run tests on psychokinesis in the laboratory. Um, but survival is something that we can really only test for in the field. And field work is fraught with so much uncertainty because you can't control the environment. And I, I want people to know that because there's so much uncertainty in field work, that it is incumbent upon them to really do what they can to get the best evidence and present the best evidence. And that means going through the things that they've collected. And even if it might impress them, they need to ask questions like, but is this really impressive is this really something that if i show it to somebody else who may not not believe in the paranormal would they be convinced by this would would they at least say well that's interesting i still don't believe in ghosts but hey that's something that i'd like to know more on okay okay uh just so so 
fascinating. <laughs> Such good information. I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to give a, a, a second to just mm -hmm. shine a light on the Portland Ghostbusters. You also okay. participate in that group. Um, that is not a paranormal investigation group. It's so much more. Why don't you let my listeners know what you guys are all about? Absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely not a paranormal investigation group. Although we have, when we started out, we had a lot of people emailing us telling us their house was haunted and I couldn't tell if they were joking or if they were serious. We've had a few people that were serious and we just forward those on to, to the groups that we're um, familiar with. Um, it's a, a charity cosplay group and it started in 2012. Uh, I started it with a buddy of mine um, who unfortunately is no longer living in, um, uh, in the United States. Well, I guess I'd say, unfortunately for us, Fortunately for him, uh, he got offered a job at Lego. Um, as I think he's a designer now, and that's like been one of his passions. He was on uh, was it Lego Masters a few years back. Oh, wow. so this was like a dream come come true for him. So our our loss is Lego's gain, <laughs> and uh, hopefully maybe we'll see some some new Ghostbusters Legos coming out. Um, so we started in in 2012, and it was just five of us. And we started off just doing events like Rose City Comic Con. And we would do like a, a Halloween event. And um, we started growing. And uh, when I, my wife and I were dating, I was telling her about this. She's, she's from SoCal and um, she's more of a, a, a sports uh, aficionado than, than a nerd. And so when I told her that I, I did this, she was like, well, that's your thing. And I'm not going to have anything to do with that. And that's fine. You just you just have fun. And we were talking about wanting to get into charity. And my wife does a lot of charity work. So I was like, would you like to be our charity coordinator? And she goes, yes, but I don't want to have to dress up. And I said, OK, you don't you don't have to. And then she came to a few events and she's like, OK, I think I want to dress up. <laughs> so uh, I, I took her to get uh, a flight suit and we got her a name patch and the no ghost patch and everything and and then um she got a, a spirit halloween pack um about five years ago and she's upgraded it a few times and now she's got a, a custom uh spirit pack uh, from one of our our members who does that professionally she customizes the the spirit packs uh, in fact right now she is out at uh, an event um and i can't remember what it what it is um walk to end melanoma or something mm -hmm. um because and i i i'm doing the podcast so i wasn't able to go to that um but she's there with the team today and that has become a, most of what we do our our charity events so we you know we get our name out there that we will show up at events we can we've got nectomobile now um we can bring the ecto, uh, provided we have enough time and we're able to arrange transportation for it. And what we really want want to do is just uh, help people raise money for good causes. Mm -hmm. And we have a few causes that we we are sort of locked into. So we do um, work every year with the Lupus Foundation. Yeah, the uh, the ecto. I, I actually uh, was telling my listeners about that on on one of the previous episodes following the conference that was uh that was so exciting that actually kicked off the whole weekend for me because my my hotel room was right across the street from the entrance there and i saw the the ghostbusters car that iconic car being towed up to the to the doors there and i was like oh lee 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 look <laughs> so 
It's very, yeah, very it's, cool. It, it is an amazing car. Uh, yeah. We, we sort of hooked up with the guy who owns it last September. Um, and it was synchronicity that we we did so because like right after we got back from rose city comic-con my wife got a call from sony pictures uh and they were filming a uh commercial for vacasa in portland one of uh, there's a private residence that used to be a firehouse in like the late 18 early 1900s and they basically had rented this residence and transformed it into the firehouse and it was only for October and they were raffling off a three night stay at the end of the month. And they wanted the commercial for, uh, for the commercial for that. They're like, we want, we want gear. We want packs. Um, we, we want the car. And so immediately she was, you know, talking to our members, like we got it. They need proton packs there. Uh, whatever kind of gear you have, if you, you know, you have a, um, PKE meter or something and whatever we didn't provide they scratch built uh and it was it was pretty amazing so like in the basement they'd built a uh an ecto containment unit mm -hmm. and at the end of the month uh, after the event was over they were just going to junk all that stuff so oh, crazy. we said yeah we said like if you don't if you're just going to throw it away we'll take it yeah and we ended up taking a lot of stuff uh, out of there we got the ecto containment unit and we've modified it as it was on site it was uh, not very portable and you know you could open it up but you really couldn't do anything else with it and now we've got it so that it can uh you can actually clean traps in it um and we took we took that to the Oregon ghost conference as well um but that's how we met the guy with the um the ecto we were able to you know talk him into uh, bringing it by for the event um, uh, or for the, the commercial shoot. And we even got to ride around in it in Northwest Portland uh, with the sirens going for the commercial shoot. It was, it was amazing. Really a dream come true. Oh, wow. Well, it was meant to be. Um, yeah. It all worked out really, really well. And I'm so glad because uh, you guys, groups like yours are just doing the, the good work that you do uh, for local charities and, and community events and all that. And just really bringing that focus, people's focus to important mm -hmm. causes like that. And uh, just really appreciate what you do. Listeners, uh, please check out the Portland Ghostbusters. I'll, I'll be sure to put the Facebook page and, and any other information that you want down in the show notes. Um, sure. All right. Well, it is time now, sir, for final questions, final thoughts, and then we will close it out. Sure. All right. So first one I got for you is, what is your paranormal guilty pleasure right now? It can be a show, mm. piece of literature, or a topic. Um, I think it's Ghost Adventures is my my guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, and awesome. that's just because I... I, I can't really take it seriously. <laughs> it's just like, I, 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 I kind of want to like watching it. Just be like, you guys aren't real. And I remember the first time I ever watched uh, an episode of, of ghost adventures. And I, I can't remember where they were, but they were like, we're going to show you how dark it is because we're not using any lights. We're just going to be walking around trying to find our way through this abandoned, you know, asylum or something looking through the little led screens. And, while they're trying to like you know see where they're going through the the night vision led screens you you don't get a wide enough view of the corridor mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And the lead guy stepped into a pile of garbage and then he started doing like windmill arms and then fell flat on his face, broke the camera. And I just watching that and I had to laugh and I was like, that's exactly that ended exactly how I I thought it was going to like I like when you tell me that you're going to do something foolish like this, it's like, well, somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> well, they but, they are certainly entertaining. You can't uh, can't fault them for that. They are entertaining. Uh, yes. All right. Next one. Uh, what is the most misinterpreted aspect of skepticism or being a skeptic? Um, probably, and I, I mentioned it before, I think the most misinterpreted aspect is that skeptics are smug know-it-alls. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are a lot of people that come across that way who are skeptic. But if you're properly, if you're using skepticism properly, you shouldn't be a know-it-all because part of skepticism is, I don't know. Can you demonstrate that? It's, you know, it's not you're wrong and I know what that you're wrong. It's, I don't know. That doesn't sound right. Um, tell me why why you think, think that's the case. So I, I really... I want people in the paranormal community to not be afraid of skeptics, you know, have them on your team, talk with them, reach out to them, reach out to actual scientists. You know, if you have something like, Hey, we've got video of, you know, a chair moving across the floor and you don't know how it could possibly be done, you know, talk to a physicist or uh, better yet, talk to a magician. If you're looking for like how things can look, spooky and paranormal um magicians will will look at that even if they're they might not have it right but they'll can at least look at it and say oh yeah that's an easy effect to do so i want people to like get outside of their comfort zone and talking to professionals because Mm -hmm. that's really going to help increase the quality of uh, of the evidence all right final one uh tell us about some of the commonly seen fallacies in paranormal research okay yeah um so probably the most common and i'm going uh, i don't want anyone to get offended by this but it's it's called the argument of ignorance argument to ignorance and it's basically it doesn't mean that you're ignorant it means that what people do is they'll say like i don't know how that could have happened therefore ghosts and it's like that's not really an explanation Mm -hmm. so you have to you know just because you don't know how it could have happened um that that doesn't that's not enough information for someone to then make a determination um it it has a an extension called the argument uh argument from personal incredulity which really goes to i just can't believe that a ghost didn't move that or that there aren't such things as ghosts and that is like that that has more to do with belief than knowledge but they go hand in hand and you get that a lot with with people especially when they're looking at evidence um you know if somebody says what else could have done that you're you're talking you know you're dealing with an argument from ignorance um which is to say i probably don't necessarily want to call them out and say like that's an argument from ignorance but just say like i don't know what else could have moved it let's find out or I don't know what else could have moved that, but that doesn't mean it was a ghost. Let's, you know, why do you think that? Um, not having, not knowing what, you know, what a cause is doesn't mean that the cause is paranormal. 
Okay, true that. Um, Dr. Nelson, where would you like to direct my listeners? Where can they follow you or learn more about uh, your group? Um, well, you can you can actually, if you want to know more about Portland Ghostbusters, it's um, portlandghostbusters.org is our website. Um, we've got a lot of uh, photographs and we've got some news stories that we were a part of uh, in that, as well as some videos. Um, uh, we did a, a video birthday card for a, a kid because it was in the middle of COVID and we couldn't go out to the birthday party. So we just in an afternoon put together a, a video clip for him. Um, so check that out. Uh, in terms of m me doing uh, professional paranormal research, I don't have an online presence for that. Um, I would just say keep an eye out for me at um, both Oregon uh, Ghost Conference and Port Campbell Ghost Conference because I go to those uh, fairly frequently and I'm usually presenting or, or teaching a class. Mostly what I do is consulting nowadays, so I don't really need a website for that. Okay. Um, and to close us out, what would you like to leave with my audience? Uh, any final thoughts or piece of advice? My, my final thought would be this, and that is um, you don't need a degree to be a scientist. You need to have a, a passion for, for learning, for discovery, and um, the ability to, to uh, think critically. And despite the fact that I think a lot of people get into paranormal research because they're like, oh, it's the frontier and, and nobody can tell me I'm wrong, which is not true, that we can all be scientists. We don't need to have a degree. We don't need to have a title. Um, as long as we're asking questions and trying to get the best possible answer, um, that's really all that matters. And I would really encourage people to learn more about science, learn more about skepticism, and apply that to their paranormal research. Dr. James H. Nelson, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Nelson, for appearing on the show with me. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in once again. If you finish this episode feeling not in the least unhappy, feeling like, well, yeah, duh. Congratulations, you skeptical believer, you. If you finished and are not so happy with it, look, I have seen some really intriguing photos of orbs, too. I took some, even, that are incredibly special to me. I see a face in one that is very special to me. And there's a whole circumstantial situation surrounding the taking of that photo that supports what I see in that light bubble. But... I can still be happy to learn the other side of the argument and accept logical, sound reasoning. We should want to be challenged. We should want to stretch. That's the point. And it sure makes the remaining stuff that you cannot possibly explain all the more special, doesn't it? We are blazing the trail here now in these final days of the season and I have a few special things in store for you guys before that finale lands. First up, we have one final guest joining us before our conclusion. Who, oh, who could it possibly be? Better be somebody uh, awesome. That's for dang sure. It is. 
it's it's totally somebody very awesome so don't miss next week's show don't miss it you're not gonna you'll be mad also paranorm girl is about to hit a major milestone in its journey the kind of milestone that makes a person look back on the journey and 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 appreciate every single second of it the 100th episode quickly approaches so keep an ear out folks better yet keep an eye out because i will be posting it to youtube because i i got visuals to share man show and tell folks easy as pie ways to support the show there are so many follow on the socials and subscribe to my youtube channel at paranorm girl pod you can also rate review and share the show with a friend another way to show support is by becoming a patron I misspoke a couple episodes ago and said that you could do that for as little as $3 a month. That is incorrect. I recently added, and then promptly forgot, apparently, that I added a tier for folks who are interested in just checking out the extra content and the early access that you can only get over at patreon.com forward slash paranormgirlpod. You can do that for as little as one buck, one dollar. With that, we will bring this episode to a close. That's a wrap. Until next time, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open.